We will read starting at verse 1, chapter 17 of Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed the acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed with purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Let's pray. Father, great God, as we enter into this text today, a rather difficult one, we look at Your Word and we also look at history and we look at this wonder that John had. He wondered at what all this meant. This mystery, Babylon the Great, and help us to get a little more understanding of how this terrible religious effort has been done since the time of Babel and since really the time of man whenever he sinned. It's been going on and it's called disobeying you. Lord, help us to be obedient Christians as we live our lives to show the world what the true, one true religion is. It's of Jesus Christ Himself. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are looking here in this uh, chapter 17 and probably next week I'll go ahead and finish 17. It's really about the uh, religious Babylon. There's a political Babylon that we will find in chapter 18. So a one world religion, a one world government is what we're headed for, or at least this world is headed for. And I know the leaders in our world today would love to have a one world government, would they not? I don't know about a one world religion. I don't know if I hear a lot of people talking about that because I think a lot of people would like to get rid of religion. But if you can get a religion that really gets rid of who God is and who Christ is, then that religion unites people. And that's why uniting in religion does the world government a lot of grace. <laughs> it helps that one world government. So, we have in verse 1, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. That was what we talked about last week and the week before. The seven angels who have delivered the seven bowl judgments, the last bowl judgment, the last judgments just before Christ comes. What we're going to do is go back a little bit and show this system here uh, is going to be destroyed. We've already heard of that, but it's what's going to be destroyed. Well, one thing is this great big religious system. It's dominating at that time. And so one of the angels says, Hey, come here, John. Come here, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this judgment. I'm going to show you this harlot that is going to be judged. That's the idea. So John has been seeing a lot of visions that are given by God. It's very clear that this is what's going to happen in his future. And what is happening here and what the angel is really trying to show him is that God will put a final end 
to all the false religion that has been throughout mankind. We will not have to live and exist in a false religion world ever again once this has been judged. That brings great joy to me. There will never be a false religion. False theology, right? In the Old Testament, quite frequently, you'll see where the imagery of a harlot is brought up and the words like immorality and drunkenness. Now, those are words you think, okay, how do we take this? Well, it does work in the false religions in a literal way. But ultimately, we're talking about there is a harlotry going on in the religious realm. There's a harlotry going along in Christendom today. I think you guys know that. There's a lot of false things in the realm of what is called Christianity. And that so-called Christianity really is not Christianity. It's going to be judged. In the Old Testament, you see harlotry. You see adultery mentioned. And even though those kind of things are going on physically, and, and those words are very demonstrable, they're very illustrative, aren't they? They bring out pictures, but we go to really what God is meaning in the sense of idolatry. Israel turned from God to worship idols. And throughout the prophet section we see that. Let's go through just a few just to see it because this will really set the tone for the rest of this chapter. This is the harlotry abomination that we're talking about. In Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 30 just before Daniel 16.30 of Ezekiel we get this. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God. While you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced harlot. Context here is Jerusalem had become unfaithful. Unfaithful to God by going to other gods which are not they're all false, right? There's no other real gods. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 6 through 9, and you might go back to your left there. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 in Jeremiah. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. So there is Israel being unfaithful, under green trees. That's where they did their idolatry. Going up high, up on the high hills, the high mountains, under the trees, and worshiping idols. Hosea chapter 4, verse 15. You have <laughs> Daniel, and then you have Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, 15. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. So there again, it's speaking of the idolatry uh, of Israel. The ten tribes in that case. Chapter 5, verse 3. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. So you see the idea of harlotry? The nation of Israel was a harlot. False gods. Chapter 6, verse 10. One more and we'll uh, move back to Revelation. In the house of Israel I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled itself. So this is the... You know, that's what... I, what the description of a harlot is. Here's the mystery, right? Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. The mother of idolatry and false religion. So that should help us now as we go through the rest of this section. So when it's saying that, yes, there was the physical harlotry going on too, no doubt about that. And it's funny that that word is brought forth. 
that's one of the things people think of of breaking God's commandments. Harlotry, fornication, immorality. You know, that word, uh, you know, that definitely is breaking one of God's Ten Commandments. And everybody, even if one's a Christian or not a Christian, they know that that is wrong. Fornication is. And harlotry. Everybody knows that. Even the worst of mankind know that, that it's wrong. It's not right, is it? God put that into everyone's mind. They have the Ten Commandments written on their hearts. And yet they break it. And what a time we live in. We see that constantly. Now waters is defined in verse 15. It says here, the great harlot who sits on many waters. There in the first verse. Well, if you go to verse 15, we do not have to interpret it on our own. We will be absolutely right on this. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. That's easy. I love it whenever God gives it straight out. Sometimes He doesn't. And you know what? That's good too. It's all there. And He gives us other verses and other places to go and we search it out. And then we find the truth. Doesn't it bring out a joy to you when you found out something from God's truth because you looked it up, you checked it out, you, you were like a Berean, you checked out God's Word and you say, I've got it. Thank you, Lord. You gave that to me, right? He did. But you, you dug for it. And when you dig for something, you find something, isn't there a sense of accomplishment there in the Lord? So, that's a big deal. Well, we found something out of here that was easy. But the rest of it is not always going to be that easy. The illustration here is the power and authority here because it says she sits on the many waters. All the nations, all the, the tribes, tongues, multitudes, right? She sits on these waters. That is saying that there is power, there is authority of this harlot. Just like a powerful ruler, a sovereign king who rules all over his kingdom, this is what this religion is doing. And I will tell you, we have a great picture during the Middle Ages of the Roman church which ruled along with the kings. And sometimes the religion aspect had more power than the kings themselves in Europe and really what was known as a kind of a Roman Empire at that time. Um, so that's the idea, quite the power there, commanding position. And then it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. Kings of the earth are the world political leaders. Under the overall power of Antichrist, all the leaders of the world come together prostituting themselves for one solitary religion. In the name of religion, these world leaders and the Antichrist, this is during that time period that we look to in the future here in this context. And they're committing acts of immorality. The harlot aligns herself with the world's political leaders. Well, that's nothing new, is it? Whenever you have a false religion or something thereof that might even have truth mingled with it, it's amazing how during the Middle Ages the power and authority and the seducing of that religion that the world leaders, the kings, would actually align themselves with this religion. Rome would align themselves with the kings. So you see, even there we had a, an, a, a harlot aligning with the kings, uh, the leaders, as it says here, the kings of the earth. We know that there are to be uh, ten and then uh, of, of the kings at that time and the Antichrist. And then, the, of course, the seven heads. We'll get to that in a moment. We've already explained that. 
okay, moving on. Not only the kings of the earth are going to be with this harlot. Whenever I say harlot, be thinking world religion. World religion. And it is the kings of the earth and those and those who dwell on the earth and those who dwell on the earth, the ones who are dwelling on the earth for the most part, and there are believers during this time, they will not worship the Antichrist. They will not take the mark of the beast. But anybody who does take the mark of the beast, they are worshiping Antichrist, Satan. Those who dwell, they're unbelievers from all over the world. Chapter 13, verse 8. 13.8 says, all who dwell on the earth will worship Him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If their name is not in the book of life, which was written before the foundations of the world, you get it? Who are those people? It's us. It's believers. It's believers ever since the time of mankind's creation. All the ones who believe... These are the ones that are of God. They're believers. But there's going to be believers during this great tribulation and they will not take the mark of the beast. They may wonder, it would be a lot easier to take that mark because I can get food and water and basic necessities. How am I going to get food now, right? But God's true people will not take it. He will keep them from doing that. He will give them the power of to keep from doing that. So that is the idea here. Um, you see the word committed acts of immorality. That is the word that we have, uh, that immorality is porneia in the Greek there in that text, or fornication. In this sense, it's the spiritual fornication and it's where they worship other deities, not the true God. So they prostitute themselves to another deity. That's what they do. So believers are exempt from that. But all will worship, will have that religion that's said there. And then we see in Revelation 17, they are made drunk with the wine of her immorality. There you have drunkenness, which is a sin. You have immorality as a sin. And anybody can, can tell you that that is a horrible condition to be in. In immorality. In drunkenness. He uses those words to illustrate that they're being lured to this drink that the world religions are offering. And it's very alluring to all. To the leaders, to the people. So he's not talking about real wine there, but he is talking about real sexual or, or sexual immorality, but he is talking about a false form of religion and they, they're drunk with it. They are just enamored by it. Everything is that is wrong, they believe it. They buy it. They take it in. I'm seeing a lot of drunkenness in our world today where people are buying ideals that are ultimately... And they're, they're like totally against God and His decrees and His commands. And people are just laughing it up. They're intoxicated. They're passionate. They're intense. They give their whole hearts to this abominable Babylonianism. That's what I think people are being prepared for now to accept a religion such as this. There will be no atheists during that time. They will worship Satan. Pretty graphic descriptions here. Very graphic. He uh, gives us a further picture of this. Verse 3, He carried me away in the Spirit. So there he is. He's getting ready now to see another. You know, He's been saying, I saw, I saw. The angel brings him 
takes him to this wilderness. And he's not on the Isle of Patmos. He's not in heaven here. He's on the earth somewhere and he's taken to a wilderness. By the way, a lot of situations here can be Rome. This is not Rome. This is a wilderness. The wilderness is a desolate wasteland. And if you go to the Middle East, you go to Babylon, any place in, in all that area, it's desert. It's bleak. You hardly see a tree, and if it's there, it's in a city, and it's been planted there, and they have some water that it's by. But for the most part, it's a wilderness. So John is carried away here, and he's going to get a better understanding of this vision as he is there. And it's suitable for Babylon likened in the Old Testament. I think it could be like a picture of what is a desert area like Babylon. And incidentally, this is probably a clue that we're not talking about Rome, but we're now talking about this system. And he uses the word Babylon. I think it's very possible that there could be a Babylon city at this time. By the way, Saddam Hussein got that city started and re rebuilt with walls and such. I don't really know how much it has come along in the last few years. That probably got quietened down. But in uh, Revelation, when it mentions Babylon, sometimes it could be literally talking about this city. For the most part, what we're talking about here, though, is a Babylon-likened religion system. Uh, religiously and politically. Babylon. Uh, we know that that was a great world empire. According to God, it was not great, was it? But it was. It is a symbol of evil. A symbol of sin and wickedness. And it goes back to the religious Babel. Babylon, right? And that's why this keeps coming up. That would be the major aspect of this. This is primarily a system. Picture of Babylonianism. And I'll tell you what, to be out in a wilderness and in false worship, that's really what a wilderness is. It is false worship. That leaves you very unsatisfied. Because you see, only Christ, Him alone, is satisfying. World religions, any other kind of religion, cannot satisfy people ultimately. That's why many of them will go from one world religion to another world religion to another world religion. They have been through Hinduism. They've been through Buddhism. They've been through Taoism. And they can jump one to another because they're all basically alike. But they do not offer salvation by grace. And that is only true Jesus Christ. So the woman here is identified really as the harlot of Babylon. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Scarlet beast, well, we've already talked about the beast. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1, verse 4, chapter 14, verse 9. The beast is Antichrist and the whole Antichrist system. And so a lot of times those can be put together. Sometimes it's a person. I think this is the system that is on the back of the woman or the harlot. Uh, it says what here? Scarlet beast. Scarlet is like a red, a deep red. You think of blood uh, as an Isaiah. Sin is related to that kind of scarlet blood. Uh, it also is the color of luxury. It's the color of wealth. It's the color of splendor. It's the color of royalty. So, we see that 
I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. It's identifying that this beast is of royalty of much money, gold, wealth. Quite the significance here, isn't it? She is sitting on the beast as if the beast is supporting her, the harlot, the woman, false religion. The Antichrist or the Antichrist system is supporting this religion. She was in charge. The beast supports and is controlled by the world religion. The religious system here captures the world. This religious system pulls the whole world together. And that's what religion does. You know, you have culture in a nation and one of the first things you find out, well, what's the religion? You go to India, what do you think of? Well, you think of Hinduism. There's also Muslim also there. Uh, not a lot of Christianity, but our, thank the Lord through missionaries we know that um, India does have Christians. And uh, all the way to that Far East, uh, we get stories of the Christian Gospel going there. Uh, the woman will dominate the politics at first. That will help the political system. They go hand in hand. It's just like the old, kind of like a Roman Empire down through the Middle Ages, as I've already mentioned. Eventually the political beast will overthrow the woman. And remember when we have read that he is the one who will go into the temple and proclaim himself to be God. The abomination of desolation. And so there we, we see that that's where he then wants to be worshipped. So the first part of the tribulation is whenever this one world religion is really making its move. And then Antichrist says, I want it all for me. Which actually Satan is saying, this is my worship. This is to me. And what does the church and the state do? What have they always been noted for? Getting together and going after the true Christians. Although inside this realm can be a form of Christianity, but they will be the ones who will be telling the government where the true Christians are at. They will be tattletales. And of course I think we can understand that even in our time. We've heard that in some states they were told People were told to anybody who wasn't wearing a mask and they were outside that they would be told on and uh, that would be reported to the city government and they would fine them. A thousand dollars a day. I think in Columbia they had that rule for a while. You guys remember that? That is really scary when one man, a mayor or a city with a few people can tell the people what to do. They are just there to represent the people, never to tell us and lecture us on what we should do or what we should believe. Or That is not what they have been called for. We have all the commandments and everything we need right here to tell us what to do, don't we? But anyway, that will be fascinating. People, uh, will, people that are Christians will be caught because people tell on them or they have their own system going on. We can definitely see that. And that's gone on throughout all of Christianity. Right in the very early days of the church, they got arrested. The apostles did. And the rest of uh, disciples and followers and ones who became Christians all throughout Christian history, you know about the persecutions and martyrdom, right? And the one who has done it the most is the church. The church. And 
the apostles were told they will be brought, you'll be brought before your own synagogues and be judged there. It's the way it works. They'll persecute the faithful. They'll persecute the believing Christians. And so it says, a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. The, the beast, the antichrist, blasphemous names. It's self-deification. Ultimately, he is like, makes himself a god. And then we have right at the end of verse 3, this beast has seven heads, ten horns. We talked about that in chapter 13, 1. Uh, chapter 17, verse 9. Look at this. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Here you go. Here you get it. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. Seven heads, ten horns. We've described it. And now it's told where it is from. Uh, and a lot of times my interpretations here aren't necessarily the Word of God. It's something that, okay, here's what we're going to do to interpret this. But if you go down through history, this was always known. It was you know, known, where, okay, when John writes this, this would have been Rome. The seven mountains, the seven hills of Rome. It's always been known as that. Could be other places, but he, I think he's giving an identification here. Uh, this would be a capital of the, this system, of this false religious system. I don't know, I, do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, most of your reformers actually believe that the Roman system was the Antichrist. The, the Antichrist himself was the Pope. And uh, I don't necessarily rule all that out. Uh, I will expand upon that a little bit more, however. And I think it brings on not only the Roman Catholic Church, but even a lot of Protestant churches and then all the world religions, the Eastern religions and such. We'll get to that. But uh, this was a place, this finally became the capital city of what once where the world religions were at or world, one world religion was at Babel. It later went to Pergamum. It advanced there, kind of moved out of Babel or Babylon. And if you were to go to Revelation chapter 2, you might remember we spoke about this. And this is eye-opening if you haven't thought about it. Um, chapter uh, 2 verse 13 and this is called the compromising church. It's Pergamum. Verse 12 says it's Pergamum. I know where you dwell in verse 13, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name, you, you believers, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so... There is a city of Pergamum which became a capital city of the, the one world religion that had come from Babel. Matter of fact, it became the capital city for the worship of Caesar. This, you remember Caesar was to be worshipped? They said... Say, Caesar is Lord. That's what they said to the Christians. Everybody was supposed to say, Caesar is Lord. The Christians would not say it. They became martyrs. Obviously, only Jesus is Lord. Caesar is Lord. It, there, it, it, Pergamum became the capital city in the Roman Empire. And then later, guess where it went? To Rome. And I'll get to a little more of that in just a little bit and give you some more details on how the church advanced at that time. I put that in quotes. So 
seven heads, ten horns, you can say, okay, the ten, uh, this, the, it's on the mountains, right? Seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Okay. Who are the seven kings? How many world empires have there been? Well, let's count them. There was the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. Then starting in Daniel, he was giving a vision of four. After that, Assyrians, Egyptians, through history, this is known. I mean, this is, you know, automatic. So there's two of them. You have the Babylonian Empire. You have the Medo-Persian Empire. How many is that now? That's four. You have the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. And then what do you have? Who defeated them? The Roman Empire, which now gives us six. And it says seven kings. Well, five of them felt that would be Assyrians. They were done. Egyptians, right? They were done. Uh, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks... What empire was existing when John wrote this? The Roman Empire. That's the sixth. He's still living. You have the king, the Caesar, living at that time. Five fell. Five empires were defeated. We have one now, as it's written to John, and then the other has not yet come. The seventh one. Who is that? That will be the Antichrist. The last world government. The last world system. There is one to come. It was to come in the future of John. We're reading this today, 2,000 years later, and it's still future. It is still to come. Five fell, one is. Now he's gone, so to us, six have gone. There's one yet to come. And he will remain a little while. He'll be here just for a short time period. That's the idea. Just a little while. Okay. Um, let's go back to... Uh, we've got the blasphemous name, seven heads, ten horns. Verse 4, the woman, which is the harlot, which is the religion, was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. So here's the one world religion now. And we're talking about wealthy adornment. This is, when you think of a prostitute, if you've seen pictures of them, you know, whether it be TV or the movies or anything, they have an allurement in the sense that they're wearing flashy, flashy clothes and of course very, um, what can you, how can I say the word? It'd be something that would be maybe uh, seductive. Yeah, thanks. That's what I was trying to think of. And so that is what you know, men and women can be alert to anymore, right? We, we, that's uh, called luxurious, very expensive, Dress. It's like a commercial. You know, commercial wants to dress something up to make something really look good, and behind it all is probably really nothing uh, worthless. It's kind of a, a relationship here associated with luxury, and it's apostasy. This world religion is going to have a lot of money, very rich. That's the characteristic of the union of the religious and political arm. That's the way it was through the Roman days all the way on up through the Middle Ages. Materialism and such. If you went to Proverbs, you'll probably see something about a harlot and a kind of the, uh, allurement and attraction that might have in the clothes, the outward look, right? Well, this is what's happening here. You know, it's interesting, the Italians, the Italians had an expression about the papacy in that country, and they called the papacy the Pope's shop. Do you understand what that is? The Pope's shop is that they are, uh, the church is really primarily interested in the monies that they take in. 
they are very, very, very rich. It uh, really is its own state. Uh, but it's always liked to rule along with the state. That's why it can go easily into a one world religion. It can easily go in and agree with Muslim theology and Hinduism, which they did. Whatever their God is, it's okay. And that's been stated by the Pope, many popes. That's what kind of religion it always has been. It gives in with where it needs to to gain what it really wants. This is why, folks, that there had to be a reformation. Luther actually started doing it, not trying to reform, but to get the message out about the indulgences. The selling of indulgences. He knew that that was wrong. It was to get money so they could build big buildings. People are impressed by buildings, by colors, by magnificent statues and all the things that allure people. It's, it's got to be right. It's got to be true. Because it has money. It has thousands, millions of people involved with it. And people are... It must be good because of that. And so people just flow to it. Anyway, that was pronounced by some Italians called the Pope's Shop. Well, abominations unclean things, immorality. Yes, now we get into the mystery of the woman. Because it says, and on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. And like I started off with, do you remember I said, everybody likes a mystery, right? Sometimes. Because it keeps you intrigued. I wonder what this is. And you try to figure it out before you get to the end of the story. And some of you are amazing. You figure it out like it's halfway through the story. It's like Carolyn always does it. I go, well, how do you know? It's probably, you know, maybe that, you know. And I'm never right. And she always is right. Yeah, she's got that thing solved. Well, we're halfway through a passage now. Have you got the mystery solved? Have you got the mystery solved? Your mystery... Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Well, you guys want to keep on going or do you want to share the, uh, the findings of what you think the mystery is? <laughs> Let's go to point number three, mystery of the woman. Babylon the Great. And notice the reality of the city, Babylon. There's a realness to this because it did exist. It definitely represents though what religion and government was whenever it was one. And I might have to turn to Genesis 10 here real quick. But this is the, the very source of rebellious false religion. The system, in my opinion, does go beyond just Romanism. Although Romanism has a lot to do with it, but it goes far beyond that. It's the Babylonianism religion of separation from the Lord God and rebellion against Him. And that would be what He'd be speaking about here. Um, it began in Nimrod's day, and it persists all the way to now and on into the tribulation. Let's go to Genesis 10 for a moment. And then we'll go into 11, and I'm not going to spend much time there. Genesis 10 is after the flood. All the way through 9, it talks about the flood and the covenant of the rainbow. And then boom, in 10, you have Noah and his family, of course, and they're going to multiply, right? He, you know, And he has three sons and they have their wives. They're going to populate the earth. And in verse 1, it talks about Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It's interesting that Shem is Sem, the Semites, which would be Jewish people, for starters. Okay. Uh, if you drop down into verse 6, just for saving some time here, the sons of Ham, now remember, Shem, Ham, 
and Japheth. Okay, here's Ham. Here's his descendants. This is Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabtaka and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. Yes, he's in the Bible. That's where he is first found. He became a mighty one on the earth. He's a hunter. No doubt, I think he's a great hunter for animals, but I think he's a great hunter, even worse, for souls. Satan is going to use Nimrod to do his building. This is a great, mighty warrior man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. That's where it all started. Babel. And Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. And that's your Middle East. That is the countries that we know of today that are... That's where uh, your Muslim theology started. Of course, now it has spread out all over the world, but that was like in that birthplace. And then he went forth into Syria and built Nineveh. We know how wicked they were. God was going to destroy that city like Babylon was to be destroyed. So you go on, this is a mighty man, isn't he? This Nimrod, look what he built. In chapter 11, the people all in one area now, in, in verse 1, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And uh-oh, what do you get when everybody all comes together? They can turn against God because they are now mighty. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. That's Nimrod's land. And settled. And that's a key word there. Settled there. Now, I want you to notice in the next verse, they said to one another, they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. See, they didn't have stones and rocks like we know that Israel has. They're out there in the desert. All they can do is make these bricks. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Let us make for ourselves. Are you getting it? They are rebelling against the true God. They don't want His way. They're going to do it. Nimrod is leading the way. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad. Because they were told to scatter. All over the face of the whole earth, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, one religion, one government. God does not like that. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now that's in God's terminology to put it in our human understanding. Right? Come, let us go down and there confuse their language. They said, come, let us build. God says, come, let us destroy their language. One language. And they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them from abroad there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. And so that's where Babel got stopped for the most part. Even though a lot of pagan priests lived there for centuries and later then moved it to Pergamum and then to Rome. It all is Babel. Because in verse 9, therefore its name was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the Lord. What do you think Satan wants to do? To bring it back 
Because he had quite a plan there at Babel, didn't he? And God said, no, 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 no. I told you to scatter. Now you're going to do it. He forced them to do it. And there it is. So now, often this Babylon, this harlot that we're talking about, this woman, is Roman Catholicism. And it takes in even more than that, than just the Catholic Church. It does include it. So I think what we see here is in the perspective of the Apostle, there was no Roman church at that time, a Catholic church. Uh, there was the church at Rome that was the biblical church. And later on, it's through years that uh, the church at Rome developed into what we're going to talk about here and then all the other religions. Uh, it's far-reaching. Uh, the infusion of Babylonianism is what has happened in Eastern religions. And there were priests in all of their uh, belief system. Babylon was the origin of collective religious rebellion, as we just mentioned. That's a world-organized rebellion there was a rebellion against God in the garden. Adam and Eve. And it was organized in the sense, I guess, you know, of uh, Satan coming there and telling a lie, or half-lie, which is a lie to Eve. And by the way, it's interesting that you have woman throughout the Bible and... and not that men are not sinners, you know. I mean, he Adam is held responsible, you know. But also, you know, who's deceived here? And so, in the Garden of Eden, this is where this started. And now you have it organized the way that to to learn what it is to see what good and evil are about, what religion is about. It's traced from the Tower of Babylon through the Near East, on through Pergamum, all the way to the West, to Rome. And in our generation, a lot of uh, Hinduism and uh, Buddhism, Confucianism, has made its way into the ranks of the United States of America, where Eastern religions were really at, really far from even thinking about it. And in the 1970s, they really made an explosion. And then all of a sudden, over the universities, there were uh, seminars where you would have uh, a holy man would come and uh, really shove humanism, or uh, uh, actually humanism, but Hinduism down your throat from the East. Uh, only in a hidden way. And it's become more and more hidden, and then it just develops uh, its own kind of identification. Kind of like it did, it amalgamates into a, a religion. Eastern paganism came into Romanism. Babylonianism later then became as Romanism. And the church was there. And you have a guy by the name of Constantine, and he's at the Milvian Bridge, and he's reported to have seen a vision, and that he would have victory. Hoc signo vinces, this, by this sign you shall conquer. He did, took that sign from God, and then when the church had been persecuted for hundreds of years, all of a sudden, guess what? They are now officially the the religion of Rome. So if you were a pagan before, you're now a Christian overnight, just like that. And it changed. And so Christianity is the official religion. Rome, the Roman system in Romanism or Babylonianism had its priest. They had a priestly ministry. It was pagan. It was accepted. They tried to get Christians to say, okay, you can accept your God, but Caesar is Lord, right? Well, Constantine changed it. Constantine had this Christianity, I will say, that I'm not so sure if he really ever became a Christian. I'm not going to make my judgment. I don't have to. All I can say is that he led everybody into being a Christian. Rome was now a Christian empire because 
He said so. Constantine did. Um, so, um, the priest went right on into it, kept what they believed, brought into what Christianity had as far as its terms, Christ, salvation, cross, I mean, Trinity. Uh, most uh, pagan religions have trinities. Uh, Isis, Horeb, and Seb, for instance, in Egypt. So they can go right along with it, and if they don't go along with it, then they lose their livelihood. So now Babylonianism is now the official Christendom in all the Roman Empire. And this is professing Christendom, and I don't think hardly any of them really became Christians. But it is called that. Now, it it takes in Protestant churches as well. Um, there's baptismal regeneration that they had already practiced. They brought that in. Did the Eastern religions have purgatory? Yes, they did. Did they have the sign of the cross? Right? I've seen people do that, right? That was where did that come from? Did you do you ever see that? Well, we see the cross, and I can say, okay, I understand that, right? Uh, but yet, where are all these coming from? Do they have anything to do? When I say baptismal regeneration, what's that mean? It means to take a baby, to put him in there, and declare him now um, a child of God. He is like a believer uh, because he got put into that water. That came from paganism. Although it sounds Christian, doesn't it? Because you you have baptism in Christianity. So you can see how all of this can blend in. How about holy water? Where did that come from? It came from the Eastern religions. Um, how about very early on when this happened, you had uh, like the Caesar worship. You had Pontifex Maximus. Well, who is that? It is later to be known as the Pope. He's the one that is ahead over that religion. Uh, these are just some things that caught as it went along. Uh, the papacy and the worship of Mary. Uh, worship of Mary is not Christian. It, that is not biblical at all. And she is treated as not only a saint, but a goddess. As you remember, you'll probably see a lot of pictures of uh, the Madonna, you know, the, and the the child, Jesus, and that also came from paganism, the papacy and the worship of Mary. Mary is still called the Queen of Heaven in the Roman Church, the Queen of Heaven. You'll see that in the Old Testament, and it's dealing with a pagan religion, where they would uh, celebrate at the time of what would be equivalent to the Passover. They had their own worship there too. Will Durant wrote this, when Christianity conquered Rome, the ecclesiastical structure of the pagan church, the title investments of the Pontifex Maximus, the worship of the Great Mother, and a multitude of comforting divinities, the sense of supersensible presences everywhere, the joy or the solemnity of old festivals and the pageantry of immemorial ceremony passed like maternal blood into the new religion and captive Rome captured her conqueror. Oh, really? That's what Will Durant says... Uh, it says, while Christianity converted the world, the world converted Christianity. Even Catholic historians admit that many of their popes, this is Catholic historians admitting that they were among the most inhuman monsters to walk the earth. A vicar, which means in the place of Christ. Pope after pope. Now this is a Jesuit. A Jesuit priest said this, Peter de Rosa, Pope after Pope engaged habitually on a grand scale in wholesale mayhem and murder, pillage, rape, incest, and corruption of the worst sort. 
Their evil lives, he said, are a blot to the pages of history. So the mother of harlots found her way to Rome and will find her way back to Rome again and maybe even into the city of Babylon where you see the amalgamation of all the world religions. The Roman system has confused salvation by grace where it's not Christ alone. Yes, it's Christ, but they don't like the alone. It's Christ plus this. Christ plus baptism. Christ plus works. Christ plus... Bible plus... There had to be a reformation to sort out what true Christianity compared to the web. The web that has lied to millions of people over the course of a couple of thousand years and even longer than that. Romanism adds dogmas to deny the very death of Christ was sufficient. One's own good deeds, obedience to the church, participation in the sacraments must be added to Christ was done or else it is a mortal sin. And you can go to hell. The rosary, confessions to priests, where did those come from? Not through the Bible, not through early Christianity, through the early church, never was taught until early Roman church history and on, uh, and it developed uh, through the years. Baptism into the church, indulgences, they're still there. Individuals must also suffer for their own sins in purgatory till people buy you out of there. You must be more thoroughly purged. That's why purgatory is necessary. If you, and here is what Vatican II said. If you say that there is a complete and total forgiveness through faith in Christ, and there's no requirement to suffer in this life and in purgatory, you be anathema. What's anathema mean? Damned. So if you believe, and this is today, Vatican II is not Vatican I. They agreed with Vatican I. Vatican II still agrees with it. If you say that you're saved by grace alone, by Christ's death on the cross alone, you are anathema. You are cursed. You're damned. And that is why there has to be a reformation. Why are many fleeing to Rome today, going back into the church or saying, hey, they're, all, they're okay, they're the same as what I believe, because they say that, but what does the Bible say? So, with all of that said, we can expect a building of the city of Babylon, but we can also expect a return of the system to the place of its ancient abode. Abomination of the earth, wicked, vile, abominable, full of idolatrous obscenities. The cup is full of unclean things of her immorality. Now, of course, the Apostle John here is saying that uh, he knew what Babylonianism is. I think he had an idea because Nero had been on the throne. Where is John at? He's on the Isle of Patmos. That Babylonian system put him there. And he knew about those things. Rome was known as a wicked, vile, corrupt city, wasn't it? So you have Rome and Babel here. And John says, when I saw her, I wondered greatly. John was astonished. And we, we, we stop with this. You can say, what's the interpretation of this? Well, I don't think I have to say anything. Because I think I have told you the mystery. It's all religions that come together under one and they will be defeated. And the interpretation actually is found in next week's message. Because if you read the last verse of our section, guess what it says? And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? 
I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And starting at verse 8, we are told. Let's pray. Father, great God, You are holy. Thank You for giving us truth, for the Bible is what is truth and nothing else. The things we talked about come from those Eastern religions that come from the harlot Babel. Those are things that do not honor You, that do not really worship You. Lord, we pray for all the ones that are deceived today through false religion under the guise of Christianity. Even in Protestant churches, Lord, they are led to turn away from You and trust in some of these things that we've talked about or anything that is not of Scripture. And Lord, let us be lights. We have nothing to be proud about at all. We are to be humbled by this because we're saved by grace. There wasn't anything that we did. There wasn't any amount of celebrations or lighting of candles or all those cute little niceties that churches offer. It's grace alone that saves us. It was by Your election and by Your predestination, Your predetermining long before the world began. And You brought us into Your kingdom as children of God. And we have nothing to brag about. It's You who has done this. Lord, help us to bring this kind of light into a very, very dark world which is heading into that one last world religion, one last world government, and it will be judged to its highest degree. Lord, may we take this seriously and help us to be the witnesses that we need to be to take to the lost and using Your very Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.